In Eugene Peterson's Bible interpretation, the message, he writes this of Psalm 22. Here's the story I'll tell my friends when they come to worship and punctuate it with hallelujah. Shout hallelujah, you God worshipers. Give glory, you sons of Jacob. Adore him, you daughters of Israel. He has never let you down. Never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He has been right there listening. No matter what has happened in your past, no matter how many times we've been knocked down or kicked around, God has never, never wandered off. He's never left our side. And today we gather to worship our God who has never left us and has never forsaken us. Today we continue our summer teaching series titled Summer Reading, in which we're looking at four different books that focus on what it means to grow in our faith as we face the challenges of life, of the life of faith. And today we're going to be looking at um, some topics that address that are addressed in a book by Joel Malm. In this book titled Fully You, Unlocking the Power of All You Really Are. Unlocking the Power of All you really are. In this book, Malm talks about what it means to find your new identity in Christ and how we grow into that new life, leaving our old self behind. And today we're going to focus on just one part of that finding our new identity in Christ and likewise becoming fully ourselves. And in order to become fully ourselves and who we're created to be in God, we must first deal with the reality of sin in our lives, which is not something we often want to talk about in the church, not something we often want to deal with in our lives, but it is something that we need to deal with, something that we need to talk about sometimes, because we don't often respond to it all that well. And to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning and look at the first account of sin as is recorded in the book of Genesis. But let's prepare our hearts this morning in a moment of prayer. Will you join me this morning in prayer? Holy God, we are grateful for your presence here in this place. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word for us today. Let the words spoken, the songs sung, and the silence experienced all become a conduit of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Move into our hearts and lives as we center ourselves on you and your Son who gave us his life for us. And it's in his name, your son and our savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone say, amen. A four-year-old boy punches his sister in the arm. And her bottom <coughs> lip curls up and her eyes glass over. And instantly the boy stands up. As she screams, and the young boy darts out of the room into his secret hiding space for fear of what's to come. A teenage girl glares at her mother with anger and contentment as her mother explains calmly. I'm sorry, honey. I know you want to go out tonight with your friends, but the answer is no. As the teenage girl's face contorts, she screams at her mother, who smiles 
gently at her. You don't understand. I hate you and our stupid family. And with that, she storms out of the kitchen, turns into her room, slams and locks the door, and then hides under the covers of her bed, and she starts to cry in disbelief of what has just happened. A man sits on his couch in the dark in front of a TV that's turned off, He knows he needs to go to work, he needs to stop at a store, he needs to fill up the car with gas, and there's there's so many things on his list to do, um, but that would mean going out. That would mean being seen and facing the world. People might recognize me, he thinks to himself. What if they ask me about it? Then I'll have to tell them why I did it. And so he sits in the dark. We all respond a little differently when we recognize sin or a transgression in our lives, and yet we all kind of react in the same way. Each of us, we've experienced these things before, whether in our lives or in the lives of other people. We've hurt someone, or, and instead of sticking around and dealing with the consequences of our actions, we run and we hide, or we say something in the heat of the moment that cuts deeply, and we regret it. And so we hide from the fact that we've broken a relationship. We hide from the world because we would rather not deal with the consequences of our sin. We would rather sit in solitude and dwell in the past instead of dealing with it now and moving forward into the new future. You see, sin is one of those church words that uh, gets a bad rap or a mixed rap these days in the church because it's either misunderstood or it's, it's overused or overanalyzed or it comes with so much baggage. It's just challenging to talk about for so many people. So I want to clarify this morning how I define sin. So this is Tim's definition of sin. Personal sin is anything that prevents us from experiencing God's grace in our lives. I'll say that again. Personal sin is anything that prevents us from experiencing God's grace in our lives. Some things universally separate humankind from the divine. Things like pride and greed and envy and the like. Um, then there are other things that prevent some individuals from experiencing grace while allowing other individuals to experience God's grace. And those, those, things, are, those things could be like, like family or vocation or, or even dreams and ambitions in life. Like, take for instance an individual's occupation. Right? Someone's occupation could be a means to experiencing God's grace. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to use our work as a means to conveying God's love to other people. But what happens when your work becomes more important than God, it, becomes, it can become a sinful action in your life because it takes priority over everything else. And therefore, it becomes sinful in nature and it takes away from our relationship with God. We all face the reality of hiding from our sinfulness and hiding sin from the world. Everyone's, everyone's got a skeleton in their closet or two. Well, maybe I can't speak for you. I got a couple skeletons in my closet. Maybe you don't, but, 
most of the people I know personally have skeletons in their closet. And, and we, we all bear this guilt and the shame of our sin on the inside, and we try to keep it hidden. We try to keep it not showing on the outside. And as hard as we try, we can't, we can't hide the truth of who we are from God, even though we try. God sees right through the deception. We might have a really nice smile, but we can't fool God. The prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. You can paint on that smile all you want, and you can fool the people around you, but the Lord looks at the hearts. We may think we're fooling God, but we're only fooling ourselves. Have you ever wondered why we feel guilty and we feel shame when we sin? Have you been curious about that? Or or have you ever wondered why we consider it a psychological condition to not feel bad when you hurt somebody? Has that ever sparked your curiosity? It It did mine. When we get down to it, ingrained into our being, ingrained into our into who we are, is our response of this this shame, this guilt or insecurity when we when we wrong someone or commit a sin. And it can be traced all the way back to our creation and what happened to our relationship God in the beginning. And for that, we're going to turn to the Old Testament book of Genesis. And in the first two chapters of Genesis, God created the universe and man and woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And everything was was not only good, it was very good, as Scripture tells us. There was no sin, there was no brokenness, there was no broken relationship. As we explored in in a couple of series back, Paradise Lost and Paradise Restored, it was paradise. Both Adam and Eve experienced the fullness of relationship with God. They had purpose. They had meaning in life. They had a job to do. They had safety in the garden as God watched over them. And most importantly, humankind was connected with God in a deep and meaningful way as there was nothing that separated them. There was no sin that came between them in that relationship. Which brings us to our first point this morning. Our needs were meant to be fulfilled by God, but sin messed it up. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 1, which says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. He said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You will not die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. It's easy to say we don't like the way things are. It's commonplace in our culture to announce that we believe things are supposed to be different. It's supposed to be like that. 
What is often neglected is, or not expressed is the way things are genuinely supposed to be. Biblically, things are not supposed to be the way we would have them. They are intended to be the way that God would have them. God created the universe in all its diversity. He created humankind in His image. We were created to live in relationship with Him, to be stewards of creation and union with God before we, as a people, and individually sabotaged our relationship with God through sin, we experienced this connection with God leading to an experience of the divine wholly unique to us. That connection, that, that dependence with God can't be replaced with anything else in the universe. Although some try, there is no human relationship, no item that can be purchased, no habit that can be developed, or pastry that can be baked. I've tried them all. That can replace our spiritual connection that has been lost with sin. And when we try to find that connection and dependence on those things, that is when shame and guilt enter into our lives. When we sin and something comes between God and us, when we place something in between that relationship and we rely on the wrong things, the wrong connection point, that guilt and that shame invade our lives. And they, they in turn, cause us to run and hide because sin leads to shame and makes us want to hide. Sin leads to shame and it makes us want to hide. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breeze were, was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the, the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree of the fruit I commanded you not to? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who, who, she told me to eat the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. And there's a difference between guilt and shame. There is, there is a difference between guilt and shame. Where guilt says, I did something wrong, Shame says there's something wrong with me. There's, there's, that's a big difference. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me. And honestly, there is. Not with you, I mean you as in us. There's something wrong with us, and that is sin. The things we place between God and us. Some faith traditions focus on this concept of original sin and, and this thing that's placed in genera generationally between Adam and Eve's sin that passes down to us. But our faith tradition doesn't really focus so much on that original sin, um, but focuses more on original righteousness. Have you heard that phrase before, original righteousness? And that is that God originally created humankind very good. That we were created very good. Originally, God created us to be righteous. That is our original state. We are not created sinful. We are created good. We are created to be very good. 
in relationship with God. And that is where the missing piece is. But sin gets in the way. It's not the sin of the Garden of Eden that makes us fall away from God's original righteousness today. It's our corrupt nature, our propensity to sin that does. It is what has driven us away from God. Sin is what drives us to feel guilty, to feel what we have done, that we have done things wrong. Sin is what influences the shame that we experience that makes us feel as though there is something wrong with us, as though we don't deserve the grace of God. And when we sin against God, we respond very much like Adam and Eve. We try to cover ourselves, to hide our vulnerability. We may not sow fig leaves anymore and wear them around town. That'd be kind of weird. But we inevitably do paint on fake smiles on our face and a chipper laugh. I'm doing good. How are you today? It's great to see you again. How are the kids? Great. Everything's fine in my house. Kids are great. Have a great week. We hide in plain sight. Or we hide in the house with the curtains drawn. We drive in the driveway, park behind the garage door, close the door, and no one sees us again until it's time to mow the lawn. We're hiding nonetheless. All The three things we're meant to find only in God. There are three things we're meant to find only in God. Safety, connection, and, and empowerment. That's, that's what we find in Adam and Eve in the garden. They had safety in the garden. They had connection with God, and they were empowered by God. And they, those things are manipulated by sin, and they turn into feelings of abandonment, rejection, and humiliation. And we don't stay in those feelings very long, though. No one stays in the sense of abandonment very long. When you feel disconnected from God, you don't stay there very long. Instead, we slowly drift to a state of narcissism. Life becomes all about self, self-interests, self-perception, self-love. I want you to take a look at this image for just a second. It comes out of um, uh, Malam's book. It's called the Hurt Triangle. And as you can see in the corners, safety at the top, when you lose safety in God, it turns into abandonment. You feel abandoned by God. And when you feel abandoned by God, it turns to self-absorption. And that self-absorption often expresses itself in narcissism. And as our connection with God drifts away, we feel guilt and shame leading us to feel rejected. When we feel rejected, the more rejected we feel, the more we try to make ourselves feel better. And so we try to self-gratify ourselves. And we do that by anything we can. We self-medicate. We, we purchase things. We, we eat things. We find ourselves falling into addictions. Anything that can give us that dopamine rush 
to make us feel good because we've lost that connection. And as we feel less and less empowered by God, by God's Spirit working in us, we feel that shame and humiliation impressing upon our lives. And so the only, we do, the only thing we know that we can do, we try to take control because we feel that humiliation taking over. And, and because we have to be in control and we have to be in power, we start to, to justify it and we start calling ourselves a perfectionist. Or we start giving ourselves a self-diagnosis of being OCD. I'm just a neat freak. When in reality, we're just trying to cover up the humiliation caused by our sin in our lives and our disconnection with God. And all of this seems kind of depressing, actually. It's so contrary to where we're called to be as people of faith. And it would be if it weren't for one missing variable in this conversation. And that's that Jesus forgave our sins and removed our shame. And we come out from behind our defenses and walk into our new identity. Paul says this in Romans 6.6, 6, We know that, we, that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. If we stayed in the garden, and we stayed in that reality of our sin, with that sin, that guilt, that shame, it would be a very depressing sermon today, a very depressing story. But Jesus forgave our sins and removed our shame, and we come out from behind our defenses and walk into our new identity because of that. Slaves to sin. I, I really love this phrase, and I love this song um, that we sing in, in modern worship service, I'm no longer a slave to sin, with that refrain, because it's an interesting phrase when you start breaking it down. Because we would be the slaves and sin would be the slave master. Slave masters tell slaves what to do, what, how to act, where to, how to respond, whether they want to or not. And this is how sin treats us in our lives. We don't knowingly want to feel shamed. We don't knowingly want to feel that guilt of sin. No one willingly gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I think I want to feel like crap today because of what I did yesterday to so-and-so. No, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. No, we unwillingly become slaves to our sin. But we don't have to stay there because we can willingly choose freedom from our sin and from our shame. So let's break down this passage briefly from Romans 6, 6 and take into account the tense of what's happening. Because when you break into the original language and you look at what Paul's saying in tense, um, like past, present, future, it's actually quite interesting what he's saying. He says, we know that our old sinful selves, that's how he starts, and Paul is talking about the sins that we've committed in the past. So he's talking past tense. We know our old sinful selves in the past. We all have sins in the past. Paul said it this way in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul never held anyone to a standard that he did not hold himself to. He knew that the, his words applied to himself as well as to everyone else. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a trustworthy saying and any, everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. 
And just as Paul sinned, we all have sinned. And we are all in need of saving. We, we are all in need of a Savior because we can't save ourselves. Starting with this reality that we live in, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. And this is kind of what I like to call a time paradox. Grammatically speaking, it's a grammatical tense case that goes outside of a linear thought process because Paul's sins, the reader's sins, and our sins were all carried to the cross with Christ. That means the sins that Paul committed before Jesus died, the sins that Paul committed after Jesus died, the sins that the readers committed before Jesus died and after Jesus died, the sins that we committed after Jesus died, all went to the cross with Christ. That means the cross bears a spiritual legacy that transcends time. It's what we call a divine mystery. Even though our sins took place in our construct of time, after Jesus died on the cross, Jesus' action on the cross absolves our sins today in the present. That's what the tensing of this passage is saying. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So, Biblical Study 101, every time you see the words, so that, when you're reading the Bible, you need to go back and read what happens before it and what happens after it, because every time it says that, we're looking at a causal statement. Something is happening for the desired outcome to take place. So, what is the desired outcome here? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. This is a present tense going forward, a present tense, future tense statement. The reason that our sin hung on the cross with Jesus is so that we may live in our lives present and future no longer under the power of that sin, but under the authority of something else, under the authority of someone else. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been made free in Christ. We live as people who are open to live and experience this life wholly connected to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a new person in Christ. And we usually don't physically look a whole lot different, but spiritually we become a new person in Christ. We, we, we find again, we regain again our safety, our connection, our empowerment in the one who created us. Because we're no longer slaves to the sin that entrapped us and gave us the guilt and the shame, leading to narcissism, to addiction, to perfectionism. Instead, we find our rest in the one who sacrificed his life on a cross so that we might find new life in a God who we can claim our identity in. And for most of us, making that transi transition is a process that takes time, a lot of time. And while we wish it could be like a turnkey transition, 
out of shame and out of guilt. Most of us must work out of our shame and out of our guilt one step at a time, and it takes our lifetime to do it. It's a process to get one step farther each day. And so today, I'm going to challenge you to take one step. I want you to look at the hurt triangle again. And I want you to look and see if you can identify the corner that's the hardest place for you right now. Maybe this is the area where you're dealing with the most shame and guilt in your life. And perhaps it's the area where you feel yourself most disconnected with God right now in your life. Or where you haven't fully surrendered to God in your life. And this is where I challenge you to start this week. And if you were to open your worship folder, I believe, on the inside with me, and I encourage you all to do this with me right now, you're going to find the next steps. And if you leave the, um, leave the picture up there for right now, there are three next steps this week. And I want to go through these with you this morning. If the, if the corner that, that you are most struggling with is your safety and you feel abandoned by God and you, you find yourself being more self-absorbed with yourself and leaning into narcissism, leaning into it's all about me, then I encourage you to focus on building yourself in safety this week. And to do that by simply taking a few min- minutes each day in silence and solitude and connect with God in prayer. Now this can take a, a lot of different forms depending on how you connect best with God. Some of you may connect best with God by being in a dark prayer room, um, as we read about in Scripture. Go into a room in the dark by yourself and pray. But some of you may want to go for a walk on your lunch break. Some of you may want to go fishing by yourself. Find a time and a place that works for you to connect with God and find that safe space. You're searching for a safe place every day. It can be two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, but find a safe space to just commune with God and even consider fasting, meaning giving up something. Maybe it's Facebook. I know, don't throw anything. (laughs) Giving up something and replacing it with just silence and solitude and connecting with God for five minutes. Make it not be about you, but just take five minutes each day and connect with God. If, if connection is the area where you're struggling and you feel rejected and you're trying to replace God with pizza or working out or with, with anything else that can give you that dopamine rush, I implore you to focus on God's word this week for just a few minutes. It doesn't matter how you read it. It doesn't matter what translation you read. It doesn't mean it matter if it's a digital Bible, a physical Bible, if it's a Bible study, if it's, if it's daily devotions or anything else. Uh, I was reading a study recently that said one of the, one of the surest signs of maturity um, of Christian discipleship is, is that you just read the Bible every day. It doesn't matter the method or form. It's that you just read the Bible every day. If you're struggling with your connection, take time each day of the week to read the Bible and then just pray a short prayer. God, work in my life. Teach me what this means. Whatever form works best for you. If you're feeling disempowered, you're feeling out of control, and you're trying to replace God's control with your own, 
I want you to, without just saying let go and let God, I want you to find small ways this week to relinquish control and be okay with not having the answers, with being okay with giving control to God. In the little things, start with little things. Pray for God's guidance and allow God to work out his plan and not your own. Choose one this week, just one. Not all three, just choose one to focus on. Don't put any more than five minutes into it each day to start. Small steps, small steps, a little bit of progress at a time. But choose one thing to do this week. Make the first step towards a new life with Christ. Remember, remembering Paul's words. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. Let's live out these words this week. Let's pray. Holy God, we are no longer slaves to sin because of your son, Jesus. He died on the cross so that we might have a new life with you. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Help us to let go of the shame and the guilt that sin inflicts on our lives. Give us the courage to stand firm in the truth of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.